We are going to be kicking off a new series today, and I am personally very excited about this series that we're calling Unreachable. Unreachable. Let me ask this question as we kick this off. What would happen if we were able to reach the unreachable for Jesus Christ? What would happen in this world if we could reach the unreachable for Jesus? And I'll follow that up with another question. Are people really unreachable or do we not know how to effectively reach them? Are we unwilling maybe to do what it takes to, uh, to reach the unreachable? In 2022, Lifeway Research did a study and they, and they found this. They found that only 54% of Christians are willing or eager to share their faith. They found 52% of Christians considered it disrespectful to share their faith. 70% of Christians haven't shared their faith with a stranger in the last six months. Only 52% of Christians have shared their testimony with a non-Christian friend or family member in the last six months. And this one really got me. 66% of Christians said they were not familiar with any methods of sharing their faith. That's two-thirds of all Christians don't know any methods on how to share their faith effectively. So I ask again, are people really unreachable or do we maybe not know how to reach? We're kicking off this series called Unreachable and the series aims to answer that question. What would happen if we were able to reach the unreachable? But in addition to answering that question, we wanna provide some real tools, some real tactics that we can begin to deploy in our life if we're really going to reach the unreachable. Today we're gonna to look at a passage in John chapter four. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It's gonna be behind me on the screen. John chapter four. And we're gonna look at how a singular encounter with Jesus changed a woman's heart. And because of that change that she experienced, a whole town was impacted for Jesus. Let me give you a little background on John chapter four. This takes place about six months into the beginning of Jesus's ministry. Jesus had been in Jerusalem uh, for Passover and he left Jerusalem into the Judean countryside. And he's there and he's ministering to people and he begins baptizing people. And this happens to be the same general location where John the Baptist is also ministering and baptizing people as well. So we see Jesus and John the Baptist's ministry happening in this same region. Let's pick it up in verse one. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, 
you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and this well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answers, Answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man that you have is not your husband now. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has come now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Lord God, we thank you for this passage today. God, we pray that as we dissect this today, we dissect your word, God, we pray that you would just awaken our spirits, you would awaken our ears to hear, and that you would teach us through your word how we can reach the unreachable for Jesus Christ. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this morning, if we're gonna be serious about reaching the unreachable for Jesus, point number one is this, we have to go where we don't have to go. It's not a typo, it's a thinker. We have to go where we don't have to go. Stay with me, I promise this makes sense. Verse four, it said, now he had to go through Samaria. No, he didn't. He didn't have to go through Samaria. Let's look at it, he was in Judea. Judea, you see the map, it's to the south. And he's going once more, the Bible says, to Galilee, which is up to the north. So you see Samaria in the middle there. And so, okay, that makes sense. He had to go through Samaria. But it's important to note that at that time, the Jews and the Samaritans, it says in our text, they did not associate. In fact, the Jews hated the, the, the Samaritans even more than they hated Gentiles. 
They, they, were, they were considered like half-bloods of, of Jews. They, they did not like them at all to the point at which they would go around Samaria, see the red line, it would go up the Jordan River Valley into modern-day Jordan. They would go around Samaria to get to Galilee. It would extend their journey. But that's how much they didn't like the Samaritans. And it wasn't safe for them to travel through Samaria. And so you see in verse four, it says, now he had to go through Samaria. No, he didn't. But yes, he did. Yes, he did. Because physically speaking, there was no reason why Jesus had to go through Samaria. But missionally, there was something that Jesus had to do, and it was in Samaria. There were people in Samaria that needed to hear from him. And so why? He had to go through Samaria. And so if we're going to reach the unreachable for Jesus, sometimes we have to be willing to go where we don't have to go. I love the the translation in the KJV. It says, and he must needs go through Samaria. If you look that up, it's it's an idiom, must needs. It's like, it's raining cats and dogs. It's an idiom, right? And, And it means that he absolutely, there was no question about it. There was something deep down inside that he just had to go through Samaria. In, in my day and age, we would have said, I am jonesing for some Samaria. Today, our young people would be like, we low-key had to go through Samaria. <laughs> Thank you, Julian. Appreciate that. But the, so we read this verse and we understand that he had to go through Samaria. And so I wonder today, as we, as we get into God's word, I wonder today where, as we kick this series off, where is it that God may be calling us to go today. And I know your mind just went like, okay, overseas or mission strip. No, 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 no. In our everyday life, in what we experience each and every day, when we get up and we put our clothes on and we go to work, we pick up the kids, we go to the grocery store, are we seeing that as a mission field where we can impact souls for Jesus Christ? I wonder if we really are realizing that God is calling us to go, Jesus is calling us to go into our everyday life, where we see someone and through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit goes, go have a conversation with that person. Ask them how their day is going. Do we see it as a mission field, friends? Because that's Jesus's example here. I mean, this is Jesus just in everyday life. He's traveling from Judea to to Galilee and he's, he's on his way and he's tired and he sits down by a well. I mean, this is like the modern or the ancient equivalent of like a water cooler talk at work. Just a water cooler talk by the well. And he uses a real life situation, a normal everyday situation to talk to this woman at the well. But to really understand this story, we really need to understand this woman a little bit better. We know that she was a Samaritan. We know that she's a woman. And we can understand by using context clues of the scripture that she's probably an outcast of society. How do we know that? Well, the Bible says that it was about noon. Noon would not have been a time where the ladies of that culture would have gone to the well to get water. They would have done it much earlier in the morning. And in fact, the fact she was alone tells us something as well, because in that culture, it was like, it was an event. It was a social event going to the well. Okay, guys, it's like when we go out to dinner with our wives and one wife goes to the bathroom, social event to follow, all the ladies go to the bathroom. That's how it was back in the day at the well. 
And so we see this and we begin to understand who this woman is. We get to see a, maybe a, a fuller picture of who she was, that she was maybe pushed out to the outer edge of society, maybe because she had been married five times and the man that she's with now isn't her husband. But regardless, verse four said that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Jesus had to go. Why? Jesus had the advantage of being fully God and fully man. He was both at the same time, fully God and fully man. And with that advantage comes foreknowledge. When Jesus is in Judea, he's like, hey guys, let's go to Galilee and we're gonna go through Samaria because he knew there was gonna be a woman at noon at a well that needed to encounter him. Somebody that was outside of society, that was outcast of society. And so Jesus had to go there. He had to go there. And the fully, that was the fully God part, the fully man part of Jesus. In that culture, he was a rabbi. And and in that culture, a rabbi would have never spoken to women in public. So even the fact that he has a conversation with this woman would be taboo. If you were a rabbi, you wouldn't talk to your wife or your mom or your, your daughter, your sister. It wouldn't have happened. And so the fully man part of Jesus sits down by the well and he's willing to go there in conversation with this woman. So we see Jesus is willing to go through Samaria physically, missionally, and then we see that Jesus is willing to have a conversation and he opens up a dialogue with this woman. In uh, verse seven, it says, "When when the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? how this conversation started. Will you give me a drink? And we can't miss this today. I mean, we're we're reading the God of this world, the God of this world, he was there at creation. Jesus was there at creation. And the God of the world is asking this woman, a social outcast, for a drink, for a drink of water. Because Jesus was willing to go there. And so again, I wonder where Jesus might be asking us to go today. Where's he asking us to go? And so I think we can learn from Jesus's example in this story. And if we're really gonna be serious about reaching the unreachable, I told you the first thing was we have to be willing to go where we might not have to go. And the second thing is this, once we are there, we have to be willing to go there. We have to be willing to ask that question, to engage in conversation, to go a little bit deeper. Because just because we're there physically doesn't mean that that's our mission. We may need to engage deeper in conversation. And so I wanna give us today the will we go there test. You ready for a test? I know school's out, but that's okay. We can take summer tests. Will we go there test? The first question on this test is, are we interruptible? Are we interruptible? If we're gonna really reach the unreachable for Jesus, are we interruptible? We live in a culture where it's like, go, 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 go. It's about me. It's about my schedule. It's about what I need to do today. But yet we see through Jesus's example that he was interrupted. He sat at the well. He allowed this woman to come and he allowed his life to be Interrupted. Why? Because it was part of his mission. He never stopped being on mission. And so as you and I step into our mission field, our everyday normal life, are we going to allow ourselves to be 
interruptible. You know, it used to be, you know, if, if you were on your phone, that was good enough for people to know, like, don't talk to them. They're not, you know, <laughs> don't interrupt me right now. I'm, I'm on my phone. Can't you see I'm on my phone? But now it's gotten even worse because now we have these things, right? And the universal sign for I'm not available is uh, when you have your AirPods in. Am I right? Yeah, that's right. And so we're, we're, we're like in normal everyday life and, and we're having me time in public. <laughs> it's like, you know, we just got our, our AirPods in and we're drowning out and we're missing what God might be calling us to do because of these things. And so I, I ask the question again, are we interruptible? Sometimes I wonder, are people really unreachable or are we uninterruptible? Too busy about our day to stop, see them for who Jesus would see them to be, have a conversation and begin a dialogue. Are we really, un, are we gonna be uninterruptible? Or are we gonna reach people for Jesus, friends? So that's the first thing we have to ask ourselves. The second thing is this. First, second question on the test. Can we be kind? Can we be kind? Verse nine, it says, the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink for Jews do not associate with Samaritans? Now, in that verse, she is shocked that he is speaking to her. She is absolutely shocked that there's even a conversation going on. He is, she is shocked by the kindness that he is showing her. And it's not that different from our culture today because I have to be honest with you, kindness in our culture is kind of shocking, isn't it? We're not too friendly anymore. And so there was this shock, shock that was on her face. It's like, how are you talking to me? Let me modernize, modernize and personalize this. Just fill in the blank. The blank said to him, you are a Christian and I am a blank. How can you ask me for a drink? For Christians do not associate with fill in the blank. Christians do not associate with the alcoholic. Christians do not associate with the person who's strung out on drugs or, or they associate with the person who's homeless or, or the person that sins a little bit differently than you do and that I do. And so we have to understand that kindness can go a long way. And is it worth being kind to a soul that needs Jesus? Even if they're like the worst sinner in your mind, Right, because we rate sin. It's like, okay, if you're a one through five sinner, I'll give you grace. But if you're a five through 10, I just don't know if I can do it. We do that. And that's, that's not godly. That's not how God sees us, right? And so we have to ask this question, can we be kind? Can we be kind to a person whose words and belief make your blood boil? Someone who's advocating at the top of their lungs that which you would spend a lifetime opposing at the top of yours. Can you be kind to that person? And I'll be honest, here at the gathering, you all are known to be friendly people. <laughs> so thank you. Every week we get connect cards or we'll hear an email or whatever. Man, you guys are just so friendly. I, I met so many people and they talked to me and I, they heard my story. That's amazing. And you guys are so friendly. And that's, and that's awesome. But I wonder if you really want, if we really want to reach this city for Jesus, 
I wonder what would happen if we would deploy 16, 1800 people and pretend like we're going to church every Sunday. To take that, that preparedness to be kind as people are coming to us and take that kindness as we go to them. I wonder what we could do in our city, amen? And so can we be kind? Is it worth it enough for us to be kind? And let me tell you why this is important because hate is a bad evangelism strategy. Not gonna win anybody over by hating them. Anger is a bad evangelism strategy. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to be kind? In fact, you know the people in the Bible that Jesus was angry at? Not the sinners. It was all the religious people. That's who Jesus was angry at. But I want to be clear today because that doesn't mean, I know some of you are like, oh, this guy's like all fluff and, you know, no truth. Just because we're kind doesn't mean that we can't stand on truth. Amen? Yeah, that woke you up. We love truth, don't we? Amen. We love truth. But we have to wrap it sometimes in kindness. So here's the thing. This right here is a sheet of, um, of velvet. It's a velvet. And the great thing about velvet is uh, it's super soft. It's cuddly. It's friendly. You know, feels good on your skin. You know, it makes you happy. But the problem with velvet is that it doesn't stand for anything. It has no backbone. It's just all fluff, and it doesn't stand for anything. This... This is, well, you guys know what this is. This is a brick. And uh, the thing about a brick is, obviously, it's, it's solid. It's firm. It's truth. It knows what it believes. But the problem with a brick is that it's abrasive, and it's hard, and it hurts. And first service, I took it, and I went like this on my arm and ripped out like 50 arm hairs, and it hurts so bad. And I just did it again for you guys. But the brick, it, it hurts. And so if we as Christians could, could take that brick of truth and we could wrap it in kindness, if we could wrap it in some velvet, a magical thing happens because what happens is we go into the world and we go into the world and we lead with kindness. We lead with soft and fluffy. But deep down inside, we know what we believe. Deep down inside, we know the truth. I can have a conversation with you and be kind and be loving and be friendly and still know what I believe in. It's possible to do that. And so I think the more that we develop our, our Christian walk, the more that we can understand that, yes, truth is there, but it's all in the delivery. And we see how Jesus did that in this story. I love this quote by Theodore Roosevelt. He said, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. So it opens the door for the next step, the next question, which is this. Will we have a conversation? Will we have a conversation? And this is sometimes where the rubber meets the road. We can be kind on the surface, but are we gonna have a conversation? And sometimes it's easier to tell people what, we, what we're against than really what we're for in, in our Christian walk. 
And sometimes it's hard because you may sit across from somebody and are we willing to sit there and take it if they disagree with us? Oh no. Can we sit there and can we have a conversation knowing that we know the truth, knowing that what we believe is truth, knowing that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and being kind and having a conversation. And I love how we see Jesus in this story start the conversation. Because let's be honest, that's sometimes the hardest part, right? Just knowing how do I start this conversation with somebody? And I love how Jesus, the tactic he used, which is just simply to find common ground. Common ground is a great place to start a conversation. Look at this, Jesus was tired from his journey and the woman brought her jug to the well. They both needed water. What was the entire conversation about? Water. Jesus found common ground. He found there was a need. He needed water. She needed water. Hey, let's talk about water. And the cool thing is, is that Jesus, he took a conversation about water, a trivial thing like water, and he transformed the conversation from trivial to spiritual by talking about living water. And so there are times in our life where we as Christians, man, we'll talk about sports, we'll talk about politics, we'll talk about lots of trivial things, but the jump that we're gonna have to make if we're gonna reach the unreachable is to go from the trivial to the spiritual. And we saw the, I mean, it's like a master class watching Jesus do this. He's like, let's see, what do we got around here? Water, let's talk about water. You need water? Let me tell you, I can give you living water. What? Like, it's amazing. And so as Christians, if we are gonna really truly reach the unreachable, we have to learn how to go from the trivial to the spiritual in real everyday life. That's gonna help us reach the unreachable. And so he tells her this, and it opens up the door, like I just said, for him to tell her about the living water. John 13, uh, 413, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now catch this, the woman said to him, she's on the hook, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She is on the hook now, she's there with him. He's drawn her in through conversation about everyday life. He's broken the surface and it's then in that moment that he hits her with some truth. After he led with kindness, after he allowed himself to be interrupted, after he found common ground with this woman, and after they began a conversation, he hits her with some truth. And he says this, he says, go and call your husband and come back. And she says, well, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, if you are right when you say you have no husband, the fact is that you've had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. But do you see what he did? He didn't lead with the brick. After he had established some relational equity with this woman, he was able to give her some truth and she received it. She received the truth, why? Because nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. 
And we see Jesus model that today. And that's sometimes where we go wrong because we go like full brick. <laughs> and you never wanna go full brick. Don't, don't go full brick, don't do it. But that's what we do sometimes. We go full brick and we forget about the velvet. So she, in verse 28, I love this, she leaves her water jar. It says, then leaving her water jar. She came for what, water? Now she's not even worried about the water. She leaves the water jar and the woman went back to the town and said to the people, I love this, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. For some of us, that's scary. <laughs> he told me everything I ever did. But I'm gonna tell you, there is freedom for the woman in that statement. There is freedom for the woman in that statement because she's saying, this man, he told me everything I ever did and he still loved me. He still stopped and allowed a conversation to happen. He was still kind to me. Everything I ever did, he knew and he still loved me. There is so much freedom from that. And I wanna set you and I free today. Jesus knows everything that you've done in your life and everything you will do, and he still loves you. He still went to the cross for you and I. And let me just one-up that. The only thing between you and I as Christians and the worst sinner that we could think of, the only difference is Jesus Christ. Apart from Jesus Christ, we are no different. We didn't earn it. There's nothing we could do to buy it. It was a free gift from Jesus. And so there's nothing that separates us other than Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12 says it's the only way to salvation is Jesus. John 14.6 says it's the only way to heaven is Jesus. Friends, he loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to be the savior of your life. I love how the story ends in verse 39. It says this, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed. Friends, we have a job to do. We have a job to do. We've been commanded to go and make disciples. We have a job to do. There are friends, there are family members, there are neighbors, there are coworkers that need the hope of Jesus Christ. And I wanna be, I wanna be clear, I wanna be honest. It's not always an Instapot kind of evangelism. Sometimes it's a process, right? Sometimes it takes time, time in with people developing that relational equity. I wanna close with a story. And as I read this story, it's from a, a member of our church who sent this to me this week. And I want you to see how in almost every step that this person did as he was trying to reach his neighbor, I want you to see that almost every step, we didn't plan this, but almost every step that was in his story, we read about in the story of the woman of the well today. It says this, it says, we moved into a new neighborhood and met our new neighbors. We started developing friendships. This went on for about nine months. Talking, helping each other with projects, because they care what you have to say when they know you care. 
Then one day, one of my neighbors asked if he could join me on my morning bike ride. It's common ground. Truth is, he rode faster and farther than I ever did, but I said, sure, join me. From that point forward, we had about two to two and a half hours each morning to ride and talk. Started a conversation. Eventually, I began to know more about his story and began ask, and he began asking me about my relationship with Jesus. And I told him that he could ask me any questions he wanted, and he did. He had relational equity and he was able to tell him truth. It was driving on one of those rides that he asked if he could accept Jesus, re-upping as he called it. He knew Jesus when he was younger, but he had not even thought about him for the past 40 years or so. So while we were riding, he rededicated his life to Christ. And now when we ride, we talk about how to live like Jesus would want us to live. Can we give God praise for that testimony? Everyday life. You don't need a Bible degree or a theological degree to do that. That's what I love about that story and what I love about the woman at the well. Jesus took an everyday approach to evangelism. As we step into our mission field, will we step into that calling as well? Here's what we're gonna do to close out the day. I'm gonna ask the band to come back out. We're gonna, worship team, come on out. We're gonna, we're gonna sing one more song. When you came in today, each one of you should have received one of these cards. If you misplaced it or took notes on it, that's fine. We got more up here. But what I want you to do, we're gonna sing one more song. And uh, while we sing this next song, I would love for everybody in here to write the name or names of a loved one, a friend, a family member, somebody that you're gonna believe in faith is going to hear about Jesus or is going to experience Jesus through this series. We're gonna commit to praying for the names. You see the names, you've probably been wondering, what in the world is that all about? You see the names from first service. There's tons of names up here. People that are souls. They represent a person. And so each one of us should know a name of somebody that needs Jesus. If you don't, I challenge you that maybe your circle is a little too small. And I'll be honest, I know a lot of us probably have neighbors that need Jesus. Maybe you don't know their name. That's okay, just write neighbor. God knows their name. And so I want you to come down during this next song. I want you to write that name that you're committing to pray for. We're gonna join together. We're all gonna pray for these names. We're gonna sing, we're gonna worship. And as we do, will you come? And I'll come up afterwards and I'll do a short close. Let's sing together. say this mountain can't be moved they say these chains will never break but they don't know you like we do there is power in your name we've heard that there is no I don't know. 
what God speaks to us is gonna come to pass. These names that we're writing down, this might be a miracle, but believe for it. Believe that God is gonna do his work, maybe through you, but in their lives. Through him, let's sing this out. You said, I believe. You said, it is done. Sing that to him. You said, I believe. You said, it is done. Come on. You said, I believe. We believe, God. You said, it is done. Sing that to him with all your heart today. transformation that we're going to see. God, it is we believe in faith that these names are going to be written in the book of life. We believe in faith that these names are going to be represented in heaven. We believe in faith that maybe over the next week or two weeks or three weeks or whatever, whatever timeline you have, God, that they would have an opportunity to encounter you. God, we thank you for that. And we're excited to see these names come to you. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, give God praise again. Well, here's what we're gonna do. Here's what we're gonna do. As you leave today, just a few more things. You're gonna get a, a cross. And uh, what I want you to do, I want you to take enough for every car in your household. And I want you to hang it on your rearview mirror like this picture. And over the next few weeks of this series, I want that to be a reminder for you as you're in your car driving normal everyday life, you see this cross and you remember to pray for the name that's on this fence. So that's the first thing I want you to do. The second thing is this, I want you to take a picture. We wanna celebrate with you. Take a picture of your cross on the rearview mirror and hashtag it, reach the unreachable. If you have a story, maybe God begins to move in the name that you put on here, we wanna celebrate that with you. Email us at info at gatheringchurch.org or post it on your social media. And again, hashtag reach the unreachable. And the last thing I wanna do is I wanna challenge each and every one of us to commit to coming over the next few weeks of this series. Because not only are we gonna to continue to answer that question and, and look it through God's word, what would happen? What would happen if we could reach the unreachable for Jesus? But we're also gonna to commit to being equipped so that we can be the army of God and go out and reach people 
for Jesus. Sometimes we're gonna pray for him, but sometimes we are the answer to the prayer we're praying for. Sometimes we are the link between what God wants to do and the transformation that somebody's gonna experience in their life. And so we're gonna commit over the next few weeks to continue to equip all of us together so that we can be better to deliver the message of Jesus Christ, amen? Amen. Listen, we love you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you back next week for week two of Unreachable.